0: to your seats, I love our church, we love to greet each other, we're a happy, friendly place, Um, hey, college football started yesterday, yeah, we got some really excited fans in the room, Ohio State fans, like, I know that was a great win last night, Kentucky, good win last night, Louisville fans, good news, you got every Saturday between now and November back, right, so you don't have to do a thing, you don't have to worry about watching those games, go be productive, right, right. Go be productive, go do productive things, or you can work around the house, you can hang out with friends, you can go for a walk. Think about all of your life that you just got back, all right? Hey, uh, I'm excited to be diving back in today. Um, I'm super pumped. We spent last weekend with some of our men in leadership here out in Colorado, and uh, we were all talking, like, I I started getting ideas for what we are going to talk about today last Friday, right? And so I've been, like, this has all been, like, stored up inside, like a shook up two liter, and today I could take the lid off. But we're going to work this. <laughs> And I did not, and I ran out of my ADHD medicine this weekend. So it's going to be fun. Um, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. All right, Jesus, we love you, and we are so grateful that we get to sing songs like the ones we just sang. Like, why would you fail now? You won't. You've done all these things throughout generations. We read throughout the scriptures to see where where, where you showed up, where you show up even in the very beginning. In Genesis, you show up, right? We see you in present in that moment to say, listen. Even though all this stuff has come apart at the seams, even though all this chaos now exists in your life, one of these days, God says, listen, my son is going to come and he's going to stomp the head of our enemy. And even though he's going to give his life to do that, he'll set you free. And so, Jesus, we just say thank you today that that is the reality we get to step into. That is the reality that is the gospel. It's a new reality where opportunities for us are new in your kingdom. And so Jesus, we just say thank you. Thank you that you don't fail. Thank you that you've never failed and you won't fail as we go forward. Jesus, we love you. Uh, we're super, super excited to dive into your word today. Please open our ears and our hearts and our and our minds and our eyes to, to the things that you want us to see and teach and know and love. Uh, we love you. It's your name we pray. Everybody said, All right. So last few weeks, as I've said, we've been in this series that we call High Five. And our High Five here at Adventure um, are the things that, that we call our values, right, so we have five values and priorities here at Adventure, and those values and priorities, they steer, direct, and guide everything we do as a church, right, so whenever we're looking to do something or make changes or or deciding if we're going to do this, that, or the other, we go back to these values and go, does it line up with these five things, if it does, yeah, we're going to do it. If not, you know, it's, it's easy for us to kind of say no to some things because they don't line up. There's all kinds of great things that we could pursue, but if they don't line up with these five things that we feel like Jesus has said, this is who I want you to be, this is what I want you to pursue, it just helps us to kind of make decisions here in this place. Now, I want to make sure, because I know a lot of us, maybe we're new today or you're, or you're joining online, those kinds of things, I just want to catch us up real fast, all right? I'm going to go super fast. I had like three cups of coffee this morning, so here we go, All right? So I know if you're, if you're here going, all right, first question, first question, what are values and priorities? Like, what, when it comes down to value, what, like, how would we define these things? What are they? How do they work in our lives? Here's what we've been saying over the last few weeks. Our values, values are kind of the principles of life and the ways of living that we put the highest price tag on. Again. I've got to simplify, you all know me, right? I've got to simplify, I like books with pictures. I have to simplify things down to like their simplest form. And so for me, when I think of a value in my own personal life, it's something that I say, it's worth it to live this way, right? Right? It's worth it to live this way. And we've talked about, for some of us, maybe uh, we're on a health kick. We, we need to get healthy. And so uh, we're working out. We're eating right, doing, doing those kinds of things. And when we go to, like, football games, I took Jack to the UK game last night, and they've got this massive spread of, like, nachos and hot dogs and barbecue and all this kind of stuff, and I'm going, I guess I'll just have some barbecue without sauce and no bun, right? Because it's worth it. It's like I, I need to say no to some of these things and say yes to being a little more healthy because that's, it's worth it to me to live like that. Some of us, it's sobriety, right? We think about being sober and maintaining sobriety, pursuing sobriety, stepping away from an, an addiction to a substance. And it's like, listen, it's worth it. It's worth it for me to say yes to being sober and no to the things that, that kind of lead me down that, that spiral into addiction, And for those of us that follow Jesus, there came a point in our lives when we had to say yes, and it was worth it to say yes to Jesus and no to kind of the old kingdom stuff, to say yes to the new kingdom life, the with God life that Jesus offers us. It's worth it to live the way that Jesus wants us to live. That's a value. It's worth it to live this way. Our priorities, our priorities are how we organize our lives. They help us to determine kind of what's important, right? And so a priority, basically what it does is it it kind of tells us who or what Gets our time, our energy, our effort, our presence, our attention, our finances, all those kinds of things. Because not everything can be equally important. It would be chaos. We would go crazy. And so we have to kind of organize in our lives what's important, especially when it comes to our resources, the resources that we have to offer other people or, or our jobs, things like that. We have to make sure that we have a list and kind of here's how these things are important. Now, these things apply to us personally and to us as a church. As a church, as I just said, there are things that we go, you know what, it's worth it. It's worth it for us to invest in missionaries. It's worth it for us to take 10% of our operating budget and give it away. Give it away to missionaries and missions organizations around them. It's worth it for us to do that. right? We would say it's important for us as a church, it's important for us to invest in discipleship. Right? We could do all kinds of things. We could we could do all kinds of programming, but we say, you know what? You know what's really worth it? It's worth it for us to invest resources into things like discipleship and groups and home groups and study groups and things like that. It's worth it for us. But here's the thing: it's also important for us to apply these kinds of things to our lives. If you go through life without values and priorities, right? It's kind of that old saying: if you stand for nothing, you'll if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything, right? It's kind of how that: if you don't have values and priorities, you're just kind of drifting. Right? You've got no rudder, you've got nothing steering, you got nothing guiding you, so these are the things that kind of guide us. Now, here's the thing, I don't know about you guys, but for me personally, as we've been t- kind of teaching through this stuff, and, and I've been kind of going back through and learning, learning more about what this looks like, for me, like getting a, a better handle on what our high five means has caused me to kind of have some pretty healthy conversations and take some, some some pretty healthy actions, even in our home. Like, so the first value we talked about a couple of weeks ago is, is we live the way. And this is what it says that you know ultimately Jesus is the way. We want to we want our lives to look like Jesus. And the way Jesus lived is He He stayed connected to the Word of God, under the authority of God, empowered by the, the Spirit, in the in the desire, the will of God. And we want to do the same. And so as we've kind of looked at that first value in our house, what we realized is like we've got to kind of look at what it looks like especially when, as it relates to having letting the Bible and the way the Bible says to live, to be an authority in our lives, we've got to apply that to the way we parent. Parents in the room, and some of you got kids older than I do, and, and we need to sit down and talk, right? Like, we do. I need help. Please, right? So, like, some of us, it, it is. It's like your kids, as they grow up, it's like just when you get them figured out, they change, right? It's like, wait a minute. I thought you, like, we were having this really nice conversation, and now you've got attitude, and now you've like now you're 10, and you think you're 30. Like, what's going on? Like, what's happened? So we've been kind of trying to apply this to us. And, and the thing is, it's like there are lots of books and there are lots of podcasts out there that would be really good and helpful. But, but for us, we, we had to ask this question. What would it look like for us if we gave the truth from the Bible, if we, we made the Bible the authority, the main seat, if we gave the Bible the main seat of authority in how we parent and raise our boys, what would that look like? Let me just tell you, we're a long way, right? God help us, right? We're a long way from where we want to be. But it's helped us to see, it's helped Christy and I to see where we sometimes major on minors. Sometimes we make big deals out of little things. This happened to me this week, right? My kid was going to a soccer game, didn't have matching socks. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Uniform means everything is the same, right? And I'm like, you're not playing. You're not playing with one blue sock and one black sock. And Christy had to go, Brad, is it really that big of a deal? Yes, but fine, he can play, right? So like we've, we major on minors sometimes. And sometimes we, we minor on majors but ultimately, what we've been asking in our house as it relates to some of these values is what does God really care about when it comes to the hearts and the minds and the souls of, the, of our kids, the, the ones that he's placed us in charge of? And so for us, we would say it's worth it. It's worth it, and it's important for us to parent the way the Bible says we should parent, right? The second question is this, right? Why do values and priorities matter? Why do they matter? Why do we even need to have these? And again, if, if you, if you want to know, if you want to know what someone's values and priorities are, just watch their life. We've said that every week, right? People will get an idea of who you are, which is your identity, by watching what you do. People will get an idea, we will show people, people will get a glimpse of who we are, they'll see our identity based on what we do, which ultimately what we do is how we express our values and priorities, the things that we say it's worth it to live this way, and these are the most important things in our lives. We will show people who we are based on those. And so when it comes how to live, right, when it comes to how we live our lives, our values and priorities are the difference between living with and in integrity and living in hypocrisy. And again, this is personal and organizational. This goes for you, us as people, right? We want to be people of integrity. We want to be people we are who we say we are. And the same goes for our church. We don't want to just do a show on Sunday mornings where we all walk out with warm fuzzies and go, that was nice, see you next Sunday, right? We want to be the kind of church that says we are who we say we are. We care about communities. We care about these people. We care about people that live in J-Town, Middletown, the surrounding areas. We care about people who are hurting, lost, and broken, and we want to make sure that they get to hear about Jesus. We want to be those kinds of people. We don't just want to say it. We want to do it. And again, as I've thought about this personally, just for me, right, little little glimpse, as I've wrestled with this over the last couple weeks, here's here's one thing I realized is that integrity speaks to an integrated life. So when, when you have integrity, you're living an integrated life, which is this, what you see is what you get. I'm not putting on a show. What you see, I am who I say I am, like what you see is what you get, and so all of this, like all of who we are, and when we live in integrity, all of who we are is integrated into one thing. That means your past, your present, your mistakes, your learning experiences, the things you challenge, the challenge you, the things you struggle with, all your successes, right? They all live at peace inside of one very nice, like put-together person, right? And that sounds nice. Living in integrity, an integrated life sounds really nice, but, but here the opposite of integration is segregation, And this is probably how most of us live. See, in a segregated life, you only see what I want you to see. What I do to my life is I kind of divide my life up into all these little spaces. I divide my life up into all these little compartments. And and I'm only going to let you see what I want you to see, and I'm only going to let you into the spaces that I feel like I can let you in and the ones that I want to let you in. And some of these compartments, like we compartmentalize our lives, and some of these compartments, they're like triple bolt locked and boarded up because we don't want to let anybody in there. We're afraid what would happen if we did. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It does to me. I mean, there are parts of my life like I'm not sure what will happen if I let anybody see this. And so here's what I've learned: right, living, living a life of a segregated life, a life of hypocrisy outside of integrity, at best, it's just a really good show. It's just a really good show. You just are a really good performer. You're a really good actor. Right? At, at worst, you think you've got everybody convinced, but the only one that's really buying it is you. But either way, outside of integrity, a segregated life, a compartmentalized life, you're only as good as your last performance. You're only as good as the last time you got to be in front of that person or, or those people or that job or, or whatever it is. Right? And if we're honest, here's the truth, it's exhausting to live like that. And we'd love to find a better way. And again, as I've wrestled with this, I see this in, in, in our value and party number two and number three, which say that number two is we're better together. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Authentic community, you know, a place where you and I can come into this place and just be real. And Justin last week talked about stepping into the mess, right, living on mission, that we're not afraid to get our hands dirty. We're not afraid of messes. Jesus wasn't afraid of people's messes, so, so why are we and again, just, just personal stuff, right? I got the chance last weekend, like, like I told you, to go away with some of the men in our church to, to Colorado. And here's the thing. We got to be pretty authentic with each other. We, we kind of committed on the front end to go, hey, listen, we're, we're not going to hide. We're not going to try to hide our stuff. We're not going to try to put, up, put, on, put on a good show. And, and, and I'll be honest, what happened over those few days was pretty amazing. The, the first words, when somebody would share something pretty honest and vulnerable about their life, the first words out of people's mouths weren't things like, well, here's how you fix that, right? Because that's usually for us what, what happens is like we, we're afraid I'm going to share something about my past or about my life or, or a struggle that I'm currently dealing with right now, and someone's going to go like, well, let me fix you. Like, I don't, I don't need you to fix me. I need you to be friends with me, right? And so the, the cool thing was as is, is guys were sharing the words or the thought or even the, the sentiment of like, hey, let me fix your can – I, can I just jump in your life and fix your problems for you? That didn't happen. Instead, the words that we heard were like, man, me too. I get it. Me too. I got to watch as each one of us, myself included, we stepped into the messes in each other's lives, and then we stopped at nothing to get each other in the same room with Jesus. And so, again, being away on a retreat like that in the mountains, like you can go, well, yeah, that's literally a mountaintop experience. It was, but here's the thing. I learned it's possible. It's possible. It's possible for our church to do this. It's possible for our church to be authentic with one another. It's possible for us to step into each other's messes, right? It's possible. We can do it. It's real. I've seen it, and I've lived through it. So the third question, and then we're going to get into what we're unpacking today, is this. How do we use our values and priorities? Like, how do we use these? And again, we've kind of told this same story the last few weeks. A lot of us, we found ourselves in these kind of how-did-I-get-here situations. Like, you wake up one day, and you're like, wait a minute. What happened like, I didn't, I didn't wake up one day and, and, and intend to or plan on, like, torpedoing my marriage. Like, I didn't wake up one day and go, you know what I really like to do? Just wreck my life completely. That sounds great. For some of us, the truth is this. We got there because our lives got suddenly pulled off course by someone else, and we didn't choose that. In fact, some of us said no, and they did it anyway. But the answer to how most of us, how do we get to these places where we wake up one day and we're like, how did, how did I get here? How did this relationship fall apart? How did, this, how did my life get so busy, so jumbled, so crazy? Here's how. Compromise. Compromise. Instead of holding on tight to our values and priorities, instead of protecting them and staying on course, somewhere at some point we gave somebody else or we gave something else the wheel of our lives. And they shaped and they influenced our values and priorities and now what happens is we're way off course. If you, here's the truth. We've said this before. If you're willing to compromise in one area of your life, it's only a matter of time before you compromise in others. That's fact. And so the way that we leverage, how do we use our values and priorities, it's like this. Our values and priorities are what we use to stay set, calibrated, and centered on living the with God life and who we are and what we do. Right? That's how we get back on track. And here's something that I'm learning, again, personal, okay? I'm just kind of letting you in a little bit today. Um, I've learned this, course correction is rarely instantaneous, and that's okay. It's just the truth. For some of us that that have wrestled with addiction, whatever it may be, you know, right? You know that course correction is not instantaneous, that it takes a while it takes a long time. In fact, you know, for most people, when, when they, most people who wrestle with addiction, when they describe themselves, they will describe themselves forever for the rest of their lives as recovering. I'm always in recovery. I'm always in recovery because it takes a while. I think a lot of times we talk about and we, we get excited about kind of these instantaneous miracles that happen in the Bible and, and we lose grip on the theology of the 10 year miracle, the 20 year miracle, the 30 year miracle. How long did it take for you? 30 years. But Jesus never failed. Jesus never gave up. Jesus never stopped reaching into my life. Sometimes we drift pretty far off course. We do. And it can take a while to get back on track. And again, here's the truth. We never really truly arrive on this side of heaven. There's not a point on this side of heaven where you go, you know what? I figured it all out. Checked all the boxes. I'm good. We never, we, ne- we always, we're always works in progress. That's why we say things like we are, we are practice, not Perfection. We are progress, not performance. We are all people in progress. We are all people in process. And that brings us up to our value and priority today, the one we're talking about. And that's this one. We bring hope to everyone. Here's what it says if you look on our website or the little handouts we get, it says this The gospel is best shared through intentional relationships. And when I talk about the gospel, I'm talking about not just the, 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 four, Bible, the four books of the Bible that, that tell Jesus' stories that we refer to as the Gospels. I'm talking about the good news of Jesus, right? The word gospel, we talk about this a lot, is that Greek word euangelion, fun word to say. And it literally talks about a new reality. It's the announcement of new possibilities and new opportunities for everyone, all because Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live, died a death that we should have died, and didn't stay dead, right 3 days later walked out of the tomb alive he's still alive that's the gospel and so that gospel is best shared through intentional relationships and here's what we say everybody deserves a chance there is no one on the face of this earth that does not deserve a shot to hear about and choose the real hope that comes from jesus everybody deserves a chance and kind of the crux of this value is this. It's relational evangelism. Now, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. But before we get here, right, here's what I want to do. Here's kind of how I want to tackle this today. This, this is the value, value number four. This is the one value that if we're being honest, we kind of self-eject on, right? Like we pull the ripcord here. This is the value that we'll make the most excuses around. The other one's like, live the way. Yeah, that sounds great, man. Love, would love to pattern my life off the truth I see in the Bible, right? We're better together. Absolutely right. I want to be in a group with friends. I want to be able to share what's going on in my life in a real and true way and know that people are going to listen. Step into the mess. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let's do that. Let's go do some mission trips. Let's go get our hands dirty. Let's go serve some people. And then we get to this one. Let's talk, about, let's, let's talk to, to people about Jesus. Well, hold on. Hold on what oh well, like this is the one where we go ah i don't know i don't i don't know how to, I, don't, I don't know how to share the gospel what if what if somebody asks me a question that i don't know how to answer i mean what if i get this label what if i get labeled as as, as a bible thumper right somebody that just weaponizes the, just the, i'm just throwing bibles at people what what happens what what brad what if this costs me my reputation what if this costs me some credibility? Let me, just, let me just say this at the risk, the risk of those things happening cause us to avoid this thing altogether. Now, I want to be really clear. When we give in to those questions or those thoughts or those excuses and we avoid sharing the gospel with people because we're afraid of this, that, or the other, here's what we're really saying. We're saying this, hanging on to my reputation is actually worth more. It's more of a value to me than my coworker getting in the same room with Jesus. Who, by the way, is the king of everything and everyone and can save anyone and everyone. Right? That's what we're saying. It's worth more. It's my reputation is worth more to me than me getting my coworker or my friend, my neighbor, whoever it is in the same room with Jesus. Right? And then the second one is true is also, like, it's more important for me to save face with my friend or my neighbor. That's my my priority your priorities. Remember, people will know who you are based on how you live out your priorities. It's actually more important for me to save face than it is for my neighbor, my friend, my family member, whoever it is, to hear about the gospel and receive on purpose, like puts eternal forgiveness, grace, mercy, and everlasting life. Put those two next to each other. Which one's more valuable? Which one's more important? Just think about it. And I know for some of us, For some of us, you know, and and I've been in this place too, it's like, look, I know that somebody had to risk that for me. His name was Daniel, right? There was a guy named Daniel I went to high school with who just would not stop inviting me to church. And finally, he wore me out and I said, dude, if I come to church with you, will you shut up? Will you stop inviting me? Just come once. Okay. Now look at me. Daniel, it worked, okay? Um, Here's the thing. Somebody risked that for us. Somebody risked losing that someone risked their credibility their reputation all those kinds of things but for us we go yeah somebody did that for me but I don't know that I'm willing to do that for anybody else I just want to make it clear what we're saying that that my reputation is actually more important it's more valuable than somebody else getting in the same room with Jesus and that's why here at Adventure I want to make sure that this is a new thing for us right we've seen a lot of baptisms You know, in in this year, and it's been really cool. It's been cool to see a lot of our kids and our students choose to be baptized. Going forward, when we baptize people here at Adventure, we're going to share two stories. We're going to share the story of the risk taker. That's the person that led this person to Jesus. And we're going to tell the story of the decision maker. Right? And they rhyme, and that's cool, and that's catchy. I didn't think that up. Somebody else did. Okay? All right? We're going to tell those two stories because those things matter. And we need to celebrate the risk takers as much as we celebrate the decision makers. Because it is a risk, and it's real. But here's what I want you to do. Grab your Bibles. We're going to open this up to John chapter 1. I want to show you how this works. right? I want to show you how this works, because it's a whole lot simpler than we make it out to be. Okay? Here's what it says. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. I'm in the ESV today, right? So the ESV just pulls no punches. It's great. So if you're following along, if you've got a Bible app, go to ESV. If you've got a, uh, an NIV, you're fine too there, right? If you need a Bible, we've got free ones in the back. You can take them home. So here's what it says. The next day, John... John the Baptist, so don't get confused, right? There's John the Baptist and John the author, right? So I'll make sure we know who's who. So this is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousins. His next day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, if you're, if you're someone, you know, standing on the street and you see somebody super important walk by, maybe two of your friends or maybe two of your, two of your coworkers or, or, or if you lead a team or you're a boss, whatever it is, and you see like, hey, there goes somebody really influential and really important, odds are the two people that are following you are going to go, we want to hear what this is all about. Like, we've heard the guy that we trust, that we love, that we know, talk about this Jesus guy, and now he's pointing to this dude and saying, that's him? And so here's what happens. It says this, the two disciples heard him say this, one of which is John, the author, Right? So John the Baptist, John the author, one of the guys that was standing there, one of those two disciples, one's name's Andrew, the other's name's John, the writer of the book of John. They heard him say this, and they followed Jesus as he walked by. And, and, and they, said, they, they said this, like, where, Jesus hears them, sees them, says, what are you seeking? Asks this question, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you'll see. So John tells us that they came and they saw what he was saying, and, and they stayed with him for that day, for it was about the 10th hour, just so you know what that means. It's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's two hours, kind of, in this, in this day. It's two hours to sunset. And so what most people would have done in this moment, most people, when, when Jesus kind of senses these two guys are following him, right, kind of turns around and they're still behind him the whole time, it's like, what are, what are you seeking? We just... We just want to know where you're staying, man. We want to know what you're all about. Most people at this point would have gone, you know, hey, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, um, maybe later, right? Come find me tomorrow. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't blow them off. Jesus doesn't put them off. He says, come and see. And here's what the Bible says, pick back up again. It says, one of the two that heard, that heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ, Right? That's chosen one. That's not Jesus' last name. right? It's chosen one. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So the next day, so they hang out with him for another day. The next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee. That's the northern part of the kingdom of Israel. And he found Philip, and he looked at Philip, and he says, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the, the city of Andrew and Peter. All these guys kind of knew each other. Right? All these guys kind of knew each other, or at least probably heard of one another. And Philip found Nathanael and said, hey, we found, we found him, right? We found the one of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Question. And Philip, Philip's response was, come and see. So there's lots to unpack just in these first few verses. So I wanna work our way through this. So first off, right, Andrew and John, John the author, are, they start out and they're just curious. They're just curious about who Jesus is. They've heard a guy, their leader, that they know and respect and follow say some pretty amazing things about Jesus, and so they wanna see for themselves. Like, Listen, we've heard you talk about him. We just want to go see for ourselves. That's been a theme throughout the series, if you haven't picked up on that yet. Like, here's the thing. Preachers and people like me, pastors, we can stand on stages and we can try to convince you to, you know, do all these things. Go out and share the gospel. These need to be your values and priorities. But The the truth is, you have to see it for yourself. You have to try it for yourself. The reality is you need to see it happen for yourself. And we say this this a lot at Adventure. Bible people are just people, right? They're not Bible people. They're just people people. Andrew and John... When it starts out, they just want to see what all the hype is about. And Jesus knew this. And I want you to understand this. Jesus knew they were just curious. They were just coming to see what all the hype was about, and he was okay with it. Jesus is great with that. And Jesus asks them a super loaded question. What are you seeking? Right? Like He, Jesus asks great questions. What are you seeking? That could mean anything, right? And their response is, uh... Where are you staying, <laughs> right? Like, where are you staying? Some of us, like that's, like some of us, when Jesus looks at us and goes, what are you seeking? Hey, man, I just want to know where you're at. I just want to know where you're staying. And and don't miss Jesus' response, right? Jesus says, come and see. He says, come and see. Here's something that, that hit me this week. Jesus is okay with curious people. Jesus is okay with you and I approaching him with questions about who he is. He's okay with this. Notice what Jesus doesn't say to these guys. He doesn't say this. If you want to spend time with me, you must believe here and now in this moment that I am who I say I am. Otherwise, be gone with you. That's not what he says. I read this through several times. And it hit me. Jesus doesn't demand anything from them. Jesus doesn't try to convince them with facts and information. Jesus doesn't try to debate them. He doesn't try to debunk culture. He just says, come and see. See, Jesus knew, just like maybe a lot of us in this room know, that facts, facts and information won't and can't save anyone. Facts and information, they can't and they won't. They won't save anybody. Like when we baptize people, we don't say, do you accept Jesus as your intellectual and informational Lord and Savior? That's not what we say. What do we say? Do you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? See, Jesus doesn't want us to simply stop at knowing a lot about him. What the gospel makes possible, what he wants, what he desires, is for us to really know him. And it's reciprocal. It's reciprocal. He wants to really know us, which is why Jesus invites them to come and see. And the next day, here's what happens the next day. Andrew goes and finds his brother. And what does he do? Andrew invites Peter to come and see. Like he says, Look, we found the one we've been waiting for. This, just so you know, this right here in John 1, this is the first recorded act of relational evangelism. You want to know what a relational evangelism is? It's this Andrew did not grab a bullhorn and head for the nearest street corner. He didn't go, like, he didn't hop on Twitter or post to social media, right? He didn't try to convince some random stranger. Who did he run to? His brother, who he knew. They had a relationship. They were brothers and they were business partners. See, what we say in this value is that people have to know that you care before they care about what you know. And that's true. And Peter, he knew, he knew Andrew cared about him. And because Peter knew that Andrew, my brother, cares about me, he cared about what Andrew had to say about Jesus. So Peter came to see for himself. And heres I just want to say this, right? Because one of our excuses is, I don't know that I know enough. I don't know that I have enough information. I don't know that I'm following Jesus long enough to be able to share the gospel. For everybody who thinks that you have to be a Christian for years and years and years and know a ton of information to share the gospel, Andrew and John, who are now evangelizing, have been following Jesus for one day. One day. That's how long they've been following Jesus. And really not even a day. Probably somewhere around 12 to 18 hours and it's, not, it's, it's really a few more years from this point that Peter, who was invited by his brother to come and see, finally for the first time out loud says, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. It takes a while. These guys didn't have to wait to be qualified. They didn't show a badge. Like, I've been following Jesus for 14 years. I, can I speak to you about, can I, can I, can I talk to you about him? Here's my, here are my credentials. One day. Hung out with him for one day. Back into the story, right? The next day, Jesus finds Philip and says, why don't you come and follow me? And the next day, right, what does Philip do? Again, Philip has only followed Jesus for minutes and hours. And he goes and finds Nathaniel who is like off the chart skeptical at first, right? You want to talk about people that are willing to ask, like that ask hard questions or that are skeptics or might push back a little bit? Nathaniel's your guy. Philip's like, listen, we found Jesus, right? We found the guy that, that like all the Bible talks about. We found him and he's, he's from Nazareth and he's the son of this guy named Joseph. And Philip goes, Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? And if you're looking for like a 2022 equivalent, just think Southern Indiana What good can come from that Godforsaken place, right? And how does Philip deal with Nathaniel's skepticism? How does Philip deal with Nathaniel's pushback? Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Now here's some truth. If we made this stage into like a, a spectrum, like a line graph kind of thing, right? And we're where non-believers were on this end. These are people that don't believe in Jesus. Maybe they're seeking, maybe they're searching, but they don't believe in Jesus. These are people that are, that are just, they're, they're lost, They're bro- whatever it is, whatever, whatever we want to say, they're lost, they're broken, they're searching, they're seeking, whatever it is, they don't believe in Jesus. And, and down on this end are like the people who have like, they, the first breath they took was like in the church lobby, right? And they've been going to church ever since. Been a follower of Jesus since day one, trust Jesus tons, right? Bought by the blood of the Lamb, like that, those kinds of things, Right? Where would you guess, and this is not a rhetorical question, who would you guess does most of the inviting when it comes to getting in the same room with Jesus? Think about it. Who is is most likely to say to a friend or a family or a neighbor or a classmate or a family, like a a coworker, who is most likely to say, come and see? Here, I'll do this. Just tell me when to stop, right? So this is non-believer. Down there are like people who just gave you the answer. Never mind, right? So forget it. (laughs) There goes the illustration. No, no, no. All right, well, wanted, we'll just pretend that wasn't up there. Tell me where to stop. Right here. Yeah, there you go. Good job. <laughs> Here's the truth, and this is fact, this is statistical. 90% of evangelism, which is sharing the good news of the gospel, is done by people who have been believers for two years or less. The other 10% is spread, or, spread out amongst the rest of us. Something happens to us, we get comfortable. Somewhere along the line, our care and our concern for people who are still lost, broken, and searching begins to fade. Somewhere between here, when someone risked and stepped into our mess and and, and brought hope to us, somewhere between here and down here, our care for that person, the person we used to be, starts to fade. And at the same time, I think what happens is this, is that care for that person and that concern for that person starts to fade. Our care and concern for ourselves and our own spiritual growth starts to grow. We talked about this over the summer. It's called spiritual obesity. And it happens to all of us. It can happen to all of us. When we get in this mindset that just says, you know what, I want to be fed. I'm showing up at church with this kind of entitled attitude of going, feed me and it better be good. The worship better be good today. You better sing this song or that song because that's what I need to be fed. And if it's not, I'm going somewhere else. Here's what happens in in spiritual obesity. What happens is we stay at the table, we stay at the buffet, and the longer we stay at the buffet, we actually start to box out people who are actually spiritually starving from getting to good spiritual food. Like, I don't want to give up my seat at the table. I know that person. I know that person's spiritually starving, but I need stuff for me. Somewhere along the line. Somewhere between here and here, somewhere along the line, we stop associating with those people. Let me tell you who I used to hang out with, right, when I was lost. But I'm not friends with them anymore. Jesus got asked about this all the time. He asked, like, why do you hang out with them? Why do you hang out with those people? Here's what he says in Matthew 9, 12. He says, you know, the Pharisees are like, hey, why? Jesus goes to eat at the house of a tax collector. And who do you think the tax collector's friends are? More tax collectors who were hated back in this day. Right? The outcasts only hung out with the outcasts. And the Pharisees, the religious people, are like, why is he hanging out with them? And Jesus overhears this and says, listen, it, it's, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You don't know why I'm hanging out with these people? It's not the healthy it's not those who think they're healthy enough. It's those who know that they're not. And there's one point, too, in Jesus' life where, where he goes to visit with another tax collector, a chief tax collector. who Again, the reason people hated them back in this day was because they essentially they stole money from people with the protection of a Roman government. They, turned their, they, they betrayed their own people. Jesus goes to this guy named Zacchaeus' house. And people look at him and say, Jesus, you could have gone to anybody's house. How come you went to his house? Don't you know who he is? Don't you know what he's done? And this is what he says. Luke 19 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It doesn't say the Son of Man came to feed and satisfy entitled church people. I came to seek and save the lost. And no one can be saved if they aren't sought after. And so I started thinking about this. Why does 90% of evangelism, evangelism come from people who have been believing and following Jesus for two years or less? And here's where I landed. It's because they're still hanging on tight to hope. Well, what's that? Like, what is hope? What's hope? Like, hope, the definition of hope, if you look it up in the, in, in the dictionary, talks about, like, you know, trusting things and expecting for certain, like, I have hope in this, so I'm expecting for a certain result. That's what hope is. Hope is what you expect, or hope is what you trust, but, but here's how you know what you have hope in, right? I heard this out in Colorado. What you have hope in, what hope is, is who or where you run when your world falls apart. You can look at the definition of hope all day long. Hope is expectation, hope is trust, hope is faith. That's what hope is. Do you wanna know what you have hope in? You have hope in who or whatever you run to when your world falls apart. Think about that for a minute. See, when we're lost, we run in all kinds of directions. We run to sex, we run to money, status, influence, and the list goes on and on. Usually what happens is we realize that none of those things can make the promises that they deliver on. None of those things can keep those promises, right? And and, and they said that they would provide for us, right? Right. Whatever it was, influence or power or status or sex or money, whatever it was, it said that it would provide for me, and then it left. The job was going to get me places, and then I got laid off. My bank account was flush; now it's empty. I put my hope in this, that, or the other, and I thought that it would fix me, that it would save me, that it would keep me going. And then my world fell apart, and all of those things that I ran to were gone. They split. People who are new in their relationship with Jesus, they remember what it was like to sit in the wreckage of broken dreams and broken promises where everyone and everything bailed on them except for Jesus. Why? He won't. He won't fail. But something happens to us as we get further and further and further from that moment. We kind of start to loosen grip on hope. We start thinking maybe, maybe we deserve grace. Jesus saving us becomes more of a trophy on display in our houses than something that we cling to every day and every moment of our lives. We get comfortable because we got our get out of hell free card, so I'm good. My eternal retirement is set. So here's how I want to wrap up today. We're almost done. I want to tell three stories. I want to tell three quick stories from the Bible of people just like us. And the reason that I want to end like this is because I want you to remember If you've been following Jesus for a while, I want you to remember, remember what it felt like to say yes to Jesus when everything around you fell apart and everyone and everything that you put your hope in bailed. I want you to remember what it was like when the only one left was Jesus and he wouldn't bail on you. And if you're in this room and you're going, like, I haven't said yes to Jesus yet, and that is my reality, I want you to pay attention to these stories, right? In the chaos of broken dreams, there is only one who will continue to show up and stand with you, and his name is Jesus. In John chapter 9, there's a story of a blind man where Jesus shows up, and his disciples go, Hey, what, what, like, what's wrong with this dude and his family that he was born blind? And Jesus is like, Listen, it's, it's not this guy. It's so the work of God can be put on display in his life. And Jesus does some crazy stuff, he spits in mud, makes mud, puts it on the dude's face and tells him to go wash in a pool. And the guy goes and washes, he trusts Jesus, does what, first time they ever met, all right, I'll go. Goes and washes in a pool, comes back and he can see. And then the Pharisees, the religious people, the entitled church people start to, start to grill him and interrogate him, trying to disprove what just happened. And here's what he says. For those of us who, who go, you know what, I don't know if I can share the gospel because what if people ask me hard questions? What if people start to argue? This guy, the, the most religious elite were arguing with this guy. And finally he says this, I don't have all the answers. All I know is I was blind and I bumped into Jesus and I did what he told me to do. And even though it seems crazy and it doesn't make sense, now I can see. Do you remember, Christian, do you remember the first time you saw Jesus? Clearly. When everyone else wrote you off because of some mess in your life. And maybe you just started to believe like this guy believed, this is just how I am. I'm broken, I'm damaged goods, this is how it's going to be, and then Jesus showed up and did some crazy stuff that makes no sense, and you trusted him. Do you remember that? It was like waking up to a brand new day, like waking up to a new life. And when you kind of cleared the dirt and crud out of your eyes, the only one standing in front of you was Jesus. And maybe your friends are like, how, what? And listen, I don't have all the answers. All I know, my life looked like this. And then somebody introduced me to Jesus, or I bumped into Jesus, and now it's different. No one can argue with your story. No one can say, "Ah, that didn't happen. No one can, can debunk your story. That's just the truth. Remember that. Remember that moment that you saw Jesus clearly for the first time. Or this is, there's this other story. Maybe for some of us, we find ourselves in this place. Matthew 14, right? Jesus goes walking out on the water. Peter, being the brave one, calls out, and says, "Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out." Jesus says, hop out, of the, "Hop out of the boat. Walk on the water with me, Peter." Peter gets out of the boat. Was the only one to to walk out of the boat and walk on water. He's walking to Jesus. He sees the wind and the waves. He gets distracted. He freaks out. He starts to sink. He trusted Jesus enough to give it a shot. Maybe that's you. I trusted Jesus enough to give it a shot. And maybe you started walking like Jesus and doing the things that Jesus was doing, but you saw the wind and the waves and you started to freak out. And like Peter, Peter starts to freak out. He starts to sink. Jesus reaches in and pulls him up and says this, why do, why do you have such little faith? Maybe that's you. You gave Jesus a shot and all your friends said, "Nah, no way, we're not doing that. You got out of the boat. You were the one that got out of the boat. You gave your life to Jesus because you, he called you out and you trusted him enough to actually do it. But then the storms and the weather of life have caused you to doubt and fear. And now you feel like you're sinking and you're drowning and you're going under. And maybe you thought, why did you get me into this, Jesus? Here's what I want you to remember. Remember what it was like to call out for Jesus For help and for him to reach into your life and pull you up. See, get this. When when Jesus asks Peter why he has such little faith, Peter has plenty of faith in Jesus. Jesus wasn't sinking. Peter lacked faith that he could do what Jesus called him to do. So when Jesus says, Why do you have such little faith? Why do you have such little faith that I can be who I say I am in your life at all points, at all moments? And that I will sustain you and hold you up when life gets hard. Remember, Christian, remember what it was like to hear Jesus say, I got you. Believe in me. But also, believe in me at work in you. Last story, Mark 5. There's this woman that the Bible tells us has suffered for years under the care of doctors and says that she'd been bleeding for 12 years. You know what I'm asking about, kids? Ask your parents later, okay, right? But her suffering wasn't personal, right? Her, her suffering wasn't just personal and biological. It was also cultural, right? She was banned for coming near people due to her affliction. Like, any time this woman went in public, she had to ring a bell and shout out, unclean, so that everyone would know not to touch her. In Mark verse 27, Mark chapter five verse 27, it says this, "When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, "If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed." She risked everything. She risked everything. They would have killed this woman for doing what she did, coming into public, coming into a public place, touching all the rest of us, getting your junk on us, right? No. She risked everything because, you know, if I can just touch his clothes, maybe this will stop. Maybe that was you. Maybe you tried to treat and fix and fill whatever was going on in your life, this gaping hole in the middle of your life, and you were labeled. Maybe you even got labeled damaged goods, and you were cast out, you were disqualified, you were untouchable. But you heard about Jesus, and you thought, maybe if I could just get in the same room with him, things would change. Here's how this story wraps up, Mark chapter 5. It says, at once Jesus realized after she touched him that power had gone out from him. And he turned in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples go, 'Uh, Jesus, you're in a crowd. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus kept looking. That's what he does. Jesus kept looking to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, because she was healed, came and fell at his feet. Trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. Words are not in the Bible on accident. She didn't tell him the nice, kind of polished, curated version of the truth, the whole truth. And here's what he says. Here's how Jesus responds to the whole truth in your life. He calls her daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, which means wholeness, and be freed from your suffering. Do you know how long... It had been since this woman heard somebody call her daughter, 12 years at least. She was disowned. She was disqualified. No one wanted to be associated with her, let alone consider her a daughter, except for Jesus. No one wanted to keep looking for her, except for Jesus. And some of you know exactly what this feels like. Jesus didn't just heal you, he restored you. Christian, remember that. If you're not yet a believer, know that that is possible. We talk about, we know we can read the definition of hope all day long. But here's what hope is. Hope is who or what you run to when your world falls apart. There is no hope like the hope that Jesus offers. And as a church, we will be people that bring hope to everyone. As a church... And as moms and dads, brothers and sisters, co-workers, friends and neighbors, sons and daughters, this is what we're committed to. This is what we want to see happen. I want to close with Romans 10. Here's what it says. This is Paul talking. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Get that? Everyone. Everyone, not just some people, not just a few people, not just people that look like, sound like, do what. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he asks this question. How then can they call on the name of the one they've not yet believed in? And how can they believe in, in one whom they've not yet heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching, which means teaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Here's the answer. As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. My prayer and my hope for adventure is that we would be a beautiful, feeted people. I heard someone tell a story in Colorado talking about this. Like, you know. When you hear steps coming down the hallway, you hear steps coming down the office or whatever it is at work, you hear steps coming down the stairs at home, you hear people's footsteps as they make their way into wherever you are, you can tell when it's good news, right? Because usually they're they're moving pretty fast. Hey, I can't wait to tell you about my day. I can't wait to tell you about my, I can't wait to tell you about what's going on in my life. May our footsteps sound like that. That people don't dread. People don't wince. People don't buckle. They don't cover up. They don't buckle. They go, what is that? Sounds like good news is on the way. And the answer is, it is. And his name is Jesus. So today, if you've never had a chance to put your your trust or your faith in Jesus, I want to offer that chance to you. I'll be right down here. We're going to sing this song that we sang earlier, right? I'll be right down here. If you want to talk about what it looks like to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I would love to chat with you. If you want to join this church, want to be a part of this community, we would love to welcome you into this place. We're a mess, we're crazy, but we're fun. If you need prayer today, I would love to pray with you. I'll be down here. We've got some folks in the back that are willing to pray for you as well. Uh, I think one of those guys may make their way up front. If you just want to spend some time at the cross, just on your own, maybe today it's like, ah, I remember. I remember what Jesus did on the cross for me, that he set me free. Maybe you just want to spend some time there just going, thank you. Great. We're going to sing this song again. Again, it's a new song earlier, but now you know the truth of this song. I said a couple couple weeks ago, right? You can tell what a church believes by the type of songs they sing. You can tell if they really believe it based on how they sing it. Church, this song should not be quiet in this place. May we sing out loud. May this song be our prayer. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.